everybody. Welcome to Wildstorm Addiction. This is episode 38 for September 2012. I'm Joe David Solis. And I'm Ben Murphy. And this month we're going to be discussing uh, what we're coming to of the year of the uh, new 52 titles, all the number 12s, which is Stormwatch number 12, Grifter number 12, the newer book Ravagers number 4, and then Voodoo number 12, as well as a lot of other Wildstorm appearances in the DCU 52. And we do give a spoiler warning for this. So, like Ben and I were just discussing pre-podcast recording, <laughs> we always start the month off with little to no news, and then it's like, before we do this podcast, the news just explodes. <laughs> so, boom. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Good point, though, before you start the news. You know, a year ago today, Joe and I were sitting around, and we had no idea if we were ever going to do the podcast again. But we got three titles dropped on us from Wildstorm in the new DCU. That's awesome. Yep. And with more coming. Much like the, uh, you know, the atom bomb had its name when they dropped it. You know, it was called Big Boy. Uh, the atom bomb this week had a, a name too. His name was Rob Liefeld. Because <laughs> <laughs> the big news of this week was that Rob Liefeld has quit DC Comics. Pause for the cheering of the masses. <laughs> I'm not gonna kick a guy while he's down. I guess. <laughs> Not that he thinks he is or anything, but, you know. No, he, he apparently thinks he's very high, so. <laughs> but apparently the Zero issue is his last, which is very interesting considering that, you know, they had the solicits up to 14 with him. So you would think that all those scripts were done, but maybe there's some major rewrites going on out there right now as we speak. There must be, because his name is still on all the solicits, even on DC's site. Yeah. And Tweeter Tweeter eighty one, one of our regular posters, who's a big supporter of Grifter at Clark's Bar, uh, brought up an interesting point. He said that maybe they'll change the covers to thirteen and fourteen now that Rob's not officially doing those anymore. So I was like, well, that's a positive thought. Yeah, good point. <laughs> I did tweet uh, Frank Terry on Twitter, and he says that he is staying on the title. And Liefeld had mentioned that artist Merritt Michaels is going to be taking over art duties on Grifter, and that Scott Clark is moving to Deathstroke. Now, this is all Liefeld saying this. You know, DC hasn't said anything. So, uh, you know, we'll see if that's really what's happening or not. Uh, before we move on to more, I just if you guys will go to Clark's Bar... And check out basically the compilation of the the rant that that Liefeld did. I can't say the name of the of the title of the post because it's you know it's very R rated, <laughs> but it does end with the word Rob Liefeld, <laughs> and it's by our resident uh, poster at Clark's Bar, uh, Dave. So <laughs> bleepity bleepity, Rob Liefeld. Exactly, <laughs> and he actually started this months ago when we first when they first announced Pike was coming in a Hawkman, and we already talked about that last podcast, how Pike doesn't look like Pike on the cover, but he does inside. So, <laughs> But in the whole rant that's there, the key points was that Liefeld put that, he said, Grifter is an important book to DC. They wanted to succeed, which I thought was very eye-opening, <laughs> you know, that they considered the book to be that way. And some of the other posters were like, well, that, maybe that's why he's getting the bust. You know, and that in the hero clicks figures and all that stuff. So, I mean, it's interesting that they've picked him to, to kind of be the one that they shove out there, I guess, because that's the that's the sense that we're getting. But, well, he's the chosen one. Yeah, apparently, <laughs> and he was supposed to be chosen half alien according to this, but apparently they've scrapped that. So all that 
talk that Hellspot was saying, you know, Grifter doesn't know what he is, is going to turn out to be something else, apparently, unless Frank Terry keeps that. So, we'll see. <laughs> okay, so we're only 12 issues into Grifter, and now we're going on to Act 3. Yeah. <laughs> Another new comic after Zero. <laughs> But yeah, they were supposed to have this big crossover that involves Superman and all the super titles and a big Damonite thing. And apparently, the according to him, the people who were doing the Superman books decided against it. And as, if you've been following the solicits, you see what that they do have another crossover with their own books this fall. So lots and lots of interesting things. Just go over to Clark's Bar and read the whole rant. He even goes on to attack... Uh, Zack, I mean not, not Zack Snyder, um, <laughs> Snyder from uh, from Batman, which is very out there. So, anyway, another departure from DC uh, that unfortunately is being overshadowed by Liefeld's is uh, Ben Abernathy, who was the former senior editor for Wildstorm. He had moved over to DC's digital department and was, uh, you know, overseeing everything there. And apparently, he's leaving as well. So, uh, it's kind of sad to see him go. I mean. He was really cool when I met him, you know, back at Comic-Con in 2010. I mean, the one time I ever tweeted to him about the New 52, he didn't want to talk about it, so it gave me the sense that he didn't uh, agree with the New 52 and Wildstorm being in it. So maybe him going is something that was coming anyway, according to that, I guess. Yeah, that is sad. I also met him that same year um, in the New York Comic-Con in 2010, and he was a great guy. I could see, looking back on it, that was the year that Wildstorm folded, and he was very quiet that day, and you know what he could tell me, and I could just, <laughs> reflecting on that, I could kind of tell that he was looking at a super fan, that he was disappointed you know, with what was about to transpire. Yeah, but hopefully he'll move on to, to better things. With the, with the new Team 7 title, you know, we mentioned last month that there is a, a Jim Lee variant for Team 7 number 1, which I have mine pre-ordered all, already through DCBS. <laughs> In November, we get another variant uh, for Team 7 number 2, which is done by Brett Booth. Another thing for the solicits that we saw for after number 14, we're going to see a rematch between him and Midnighter, so that's going to be interesting. also wanted to mention that... Uh, we have mentioned in the past that I do help run the Gen 13 DeviantArt Club over at DeviantArt.com. You know, even though there's not a Gen 13 book out there, there's still a lot of fans, you know, from the old school. And we do keep them updated that Fairchild is in Ravagers and, you know, that Grunge made his appearance in Superboy. So, you know, they're, of course, they're, they're torn about, about the new 52 and how Gen 13 is being handled, but, but they're still fans. So, you know, the club's five years old now and, we haven't had an art contest in a long time, so we decided to do a back-to-school theme. So if you'd like to participate, you can head to the, the club. We'll have the, the link on, on our site, but it's uh, gen13-club.deviantart.com. There is no www, and it's free to join. So, Also, uh, some new stuff we added at Facebook. Uh, we added a new Facebook fan page for Team 7. Uh, which is just uh, www.facebook.com backslash Team7Comic. And the number seven is actually the number seven. So in case you missed it, there's also Facebook fan pages for Stormwatch, Grifter, Voodoo, and even a Wildcats page, all of which can be found under the Like section of the Team7 page. So start networking all these titles so hopefully we won't lose any more. <laughs> <laughs> also, this, this last bit of news I caught by accident because I hadn't been to Comixology in a while. 
And I noticed that uh, one of the old Wildstorm creator-owned titles, uh, Casey Blue Beyond Tomorrow Number 1, is up there. It was drawn by former Gen 13 artist Carlo Barbary and written by B. Clay Moore. And it's only 99 cents, and I actually have always wanted to give it a try. So I don't know if I'm going to do it digitally or, you know, you can find the issues pretty cheap. And uh, I'm going to let you pick up this last bit of news because you added this one at last minute, so I'm not sure if I'll do it justice. So That's <laughs> uh, okay. It really is just a quick blurb. I just I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. That's one of the reasons why I you know, decided to create one with Joe because I love podcasts. And I just happened to be listening to the Twit podcast, which is This Week in Tech by Leo Laporte and his whole Twit army and all the things that he has going on and they happen to be talking about uh, the Dark Knight Rises and movies and they got into comics and it was really only a minute long blurb but uh, at the 24 minute mark uh, is when they start this discussion and one of the guests during that show Patrick Norton uh, at Patrick Norton from Texilla announced his favorite comic book character to be the Midnighter and this was episode 365, so you can watch it there. It's uh, twit.tv, and check out episode 365, and you can see Patrick. And we might have to hit him up and say, hey, we like the Midnighter, too. He's kind of cool. Sweet. It's always good for some good cross-promotion. So, <laughs> But yeah, we'll get, I'll let you get into the reviews, because even our reviews have news, as you'll see in the Stormwatch one. <laughs> so. Sounds good. All right, first up, Stormwatch number 12, released on... August 1st, written by Peter Milligan, with art by Will Conrad and Julio Ferreira, and cover by Scott Clark. This issue, other than being fantastic once again, kicks off, and it's a little confusing, but uh, Jack is in Paris, I believe, and he is trying to clean up Paris, uh, trying to work with the city there, and he's kind of confused. There's uh, all these Nefertiti busts. Uh, scattered about and he's talking with the engineer and he's a little confused and he's even saying that he's a little wobbly to tell you the truth eventually the engineer asks him what about the martian manhunter and he's like the martian who so that's that's where we really start off with this issue and really as we continue through here uh, we jump back up to the eye of the storm and martian manhunter is talking with jenny quantum and they have quite the exchange, and, and she realizes that something's wrong, and and he starts kind of attacking her, and, and she's she's like a time bomb. She can basically do anything and and wipe out the entire universe, honestly. So uh, her atta- him attacking her, you know, causes her to scream, and he's really nervous about that because he doesn't know what she'll do. Uh, but basically, Martian Manhunter is trying to. Um, as we just noticed, you know, Jack Hawksmore not having any idea who the Martian Manhunter is. Um, he's trying to go around and uh, wipe his memory or all of, all of his team members' memories uh, from them of him. And he is actually able to get a hold of Jenny as well out in the, uh, the bleed. And he was able to wipe her memory out as well. And he dumps her right back into the uh the eye of the storm without him and and she's just like uh what was i doing again so it's kind of interesting that he's able to even trick her and she's a pretty powerful character then we go to the australian outback and uh we have the engineer and she's looking over all these nefertiti busts and she can't really figure out what the 
what the point of all these 3,500 year old uh, Egyptian queen, basically, what they're doing all all scattered throughout the earth. Apollo's in Rio de Janeiro, uh, Brazil, and he's also trying to do something with the Nefertiti bus, and he's trying to look through them or you know use his new powers, which we're not really quite sure what they are. I, and they're slowly fleshing that out for us, um, you know, using his halo effect. Uh, I assume we'll get to learn more and more about that with each and every issue. Well, basically, the engineer's like, all right, stop showing off or something. <laughs> he basically is uh, feeling underappreciated by, uh, you know, with his powers. And when he first started, he didn't really have much, much to, to give, really. We didn't, didn't really know what he was going to do. Then uh, we flip over to Midnighter doing what he does bust, which is a kick and ask and not even asking any questions about it. I guess knocking down some henchmen who thought that these busts were filled with cocaine or drugs or something like that, but really they weren't. So they had them. He thought that was a lead, but it wasn't. And uh, Midnighter and Apollo reach back up with one another, and this is where Martian Manhunter comes back into the scene. Um, and Midnighter immediately realizes that something's wrong. Uh, before I can really get into that, though, this is where we we finally get some recognition over one of uh, Midnighter's new character traits or, or the way that he's been drawn since the start, which is the huge spike on his chin in his new uh, new uniform. Apollo hates the thing. Apparently, this is the first time we've learned about that. Um, and they're talking about it, and he's like, I really hate this thing. Anyways, uh, Midnighter realizes that something's wrong with uh, Martian Manhunters showing up, and uh, you know he says that he can read uh, his face, um, and Martian Manhunter sneaks behind Apollo and and starts you know the deprogramming, I guess, uh, the mind wipe of Apollo, and Midnighter goes after him, and says that he knows the weakness of his race and that if he punches them square in the nose that he can bust off or chip off a piece of bone and and strike it into his brain and you know kill Martian Manhunter which is, he's impressed that Midnighter knows knows their weakness and Midnighter tries to punch him and you know Martian Manhunter like disapparates I want to go into Harry Potter for some dumb reason he <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's kind of a little left field. <laughs> Teleports, I mean. <laughs> and Midnighter just flies right through him. Um, <laughs> but then he's actually able to, you know, as uh, Martian Manhunter finishes off the mind wipe of Apollo, Midnighter is actually able to uh, clock Martian Manhunter right square in the nose and uh, smack him pretty darn good. And, and Midnighter is kind of confused why he's not dead. And, uh, Martian Manhunter says, well, you know, I squished my brain three inches to the left whenever you swung, so that piece of brain just hit nothing but air. I would assume the back of his skull, but that's pretty cool. And as he's explaining it, he uh, is able to mind-wipe Midnighter as well. And he basically just walks into a door and goes right on to the, the eye of the storm, and... This is where Apollo and Midnight are a little confused about what just happened because now they have no knowledge of Martian Manhunter. Uh, they pick right back up 
to their conversation about the spike and Midnighter goes into um, how his spike kind of uh, solidified uh, him keeping it by, uh, you know, once getting into a brawl with a really tough crew and he was being held up and the leader came over to him and being held back, Midnighter was able to use his chin spike and spike the guy in the hand that he was carrying a knife in and he was able to free himself from that. So that's basically <laughs> where the spike came from, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> kind of silly, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's the origin of the chin spike and this is this is groundbreaking here. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it it's so epic that I missed an obvious homage here to the old Wallstorm universe. Did you catch it? Ah, I guess I didn't. Somebody was like, hey, look, Midnighter has his trench coat on in this flashback. Oh, yeah, he does. What the hell? <laughs> I totally missed that, too. Somebody on Clark's Bar posted that. Well, he's very blue here, so it could have easily been missed. But, yeah, you're right. Two panels, his trench coat's on. Good call. <laughs> and explain the spike. Awesome. All at the same time. You know what? And that's something that I was thinking about when I was going back and rereading this issue today is that um, even the stupidest minute things that we've talked about and other other people get hung up on in Clark's Bar and things like that, like they're obviously paying attention to what we're talking about because they're going back and they're explaining things or they're just throwing things in there just to tease us. And I think that's great. That's one of the reasons why I've really enjoyed this title. Moving on, as Martian Manhunter uh, passed through the door, he uh, realizes that it's taking him longer to teleport than normal, which I would assume it's instantaneous. That's how we've always understood the door technology to be. But even if it was less than a second, he would al already realize that something was wrong. And basically he hears a voice and, and it's the... Uh, Dark Shadow Lords, Shadow Lords that control uh, Stormwatch and run Stormwatch, uh, summoning him. And basically, uh, they're going, he goes to their realm, uh, which they actually say, is this the first time they've actually said where they are? The Island of Avalon, which is the Sh Shadow Lords homeworld. So. We get a lot of info about these guys in this one scene. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Martian Manhunter gets a plunk deck down onto their world and he only sees three of them and he knows instantly hey there's four of you where's the other one but basically the the gist of what's happening here is that the shadow lords are like hey why are you what's going on we know that you're mind wiping all of your teammates uh you can't just leave Stormwatch. that's not how this works and i was actually kind of surprised um because they let him go rather easily and i guess i don't know these characters but it seems to be the way that they work, you know. It's you're all in if you're in Stormwatch because they killed Adam One without even a a thought, just for uh, not leading appropriately. So uh, I, I know that right at the end here, they they come to an agreement that um, they do want to call upon Martian Manhunter uh, sometime in the future to do a, a favor uh, for them, no questions asked, and that's what they agree upon to allow him to leave Stormwatch. Um, but you know they're very they're very true to their word because they want to keep Stormwatch's secrecy in order to protect that organization from you know basically keeping Earth safe. 
So, kind of surprised about that. Well, something tells me that uh, Martian Manager might have preferred dying before owing them a favor. So, <laughs> right, I'm sure. I'm sure that favor is not going to be a light one. So we go back to the Eye of the Storm, and here's another thing that I wanted to point out, and I don't know if you noticed this, but it's been issue upon issue upon issue bef- since we've seen uh, Chuck Charlie, the consciousness of uh, Stormwatch, basically the Daemonite that's. Oh, <laughs> kind of trapped in there. I reread this today, and I was like, "Man, where is he?" Because we haven't heard about him in a while, and there's been no beef between Engineer and him. So, kind of sad. I don't think uh, I don't think Peter Milligan has addressed that in his run. I think that was only in uh, at the very end of Cornell's, and then Peter Milligan used it. I mean, I'm sorry, um, Paul Jenkins used it in his two issue run. I think. Yep, he did. Huh. Yeah, that is interesting. Anywho. Uh, and Martian Manhunter comes back on the scene and, and is talking to Engineer. And Engineer is still frustrated about these Nefertiti uh, idols that have been scattered throughout. And uh, the Engineer was in on uh, Martian Manhunter wiping all the teammates. Uh, she knew what he was up to and was prepared for this. And also prepared for this moment because they have their final discussion. He also brings up Harry Tanner and uh, his relationship with her. And he still senses you know that's a sore subject but uh she's like don't forget about him go don't you know don't quit your uh search for him and uh he he realizes that she's still in love with him or or still has feelings for him and that he was he hurt her pretty bad anyways he asks her you know do you want me to wipe that from your memory as well and she's like no i can deal with my own pain thanks and uh, anyways, they have that nice exchange, and then he uh, he mind wipes Angie as well, which has to be pretty impressive because she's uh, pretty much all wrapped into the technology of the Eye of the Storm as well. So does that mean that he erased all traces of him from their files? I don't really know, because how else would she not know of him after that point? Yeah, because you figure the, sh- the ship would keep records. Exactly. exactly. You would hope that he... Uh... He took care of that. (laughs) He would have to in order for her to forget about him and his role in that organization. Uh, And this is where we shift over uh, locations and we go over to the Himalayas and uh, we see uh, Justice League International and we get Booster Gold and is that OMAC and uh, the Green Lantern? Yeah, Guy Gardner. Somebody pointed out to me or somebody pointed out online that... uh, the artist drew Booster Gold in his pre-New 52 costume. He's got a newer costume in the in the New 52. <laughs> I, I kind of noticed that as well. I thought it was interesting. It's like, oops. <laughs> <laughs> Not get the memo, or was it just a tease? <laughs> a wizard did it. We always joke with that. I don't know if you've ever seen that Simpsons episode with Xena. They ask her, you know, it's a super fan asking her about a certain episode, and since she doesn't you know, keep up with the episode that, well, she just like, a wizard did it. And he's like, but what about it? And she's just like, a wizard did it. Anytime you can't explain it, a wizard did it. So <laughs> that's what happened to Booster Gold here. All right. Anyways, they're uh, in the Himalayas and they're also uh, looking at these Nefertiti busts and, you know, they're kind of theorizing that it's some person's sick joke, but they don't really know what it is either. Uh, and then we get some uh, dialogue, uh, over top, uh, and we're actually uh, listening to Harry Tanner and the projectionist in Antarctica, and uh, she's looking over 
um, she's actually looking at the fox and he's all tied up and spread out and he's got a really weird glowy thing in the center of his gut and that's really creepy but basically Harry Tanner and the projectionist are having a, a conversation with each other in the room and the projectionist is inside of the fox and he made like some sort of portal um, or into a, a gateway basically is what they explain it into another dimension and Harry Tanner's in there it's really weird and he's actually the one that spread all the nefertiti busts around the the earth and he uh found the danger cache in mexico that actually um martian manhunter alluded to a little bit uh when he was in the dark shadow lords uh their their world because that's where one of the shadow lords was lost i think is what they were talking about a little bit there Anyways, Harry Tanner's in this other dimension inside of the fox, which is kind of creepy. And uh, basically, you know, he is going to pose as the fourth Shadow Lord uh, when he returns. And he says, you know, he who controls the Shadow Lords controls Stormwatch. And that's what we end with, a big, huge spread of him inside this other dimension, which is inside the fox, which is crazy to me. Uh, that's like that's like Grant Morrison type stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Make your head explode. <laughs> and this is uh, where we end this issue, which is another freaking epic issue. Oh man, can't get over Stormwatch. Every stinking issue from one to twelve, and we can't wait until next month's issue zero. Woo! What a ride. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. That's why I can't get over that the sales just can't pick up, man. I'm like. It's a good book. I don't know why people are not reading. I mean, out of all the books we cover, I mean, this is the strongest one by far. You know, we realize that some of the other titles have their problems, but this one is a strong book. I mean, any way you look at it, it just is. You know, we always talk about the the high concepts that they put in Stormwatch, and this one was kind of like, it was like teasing that with the Nefertiti thing, because you were trying to figure it out along with the characters, but that wasn't the focus of the issue. It was the whole you know, Martian Manhunter's decision. So that's what made this, you know, it was kind of heartbreaking at first, you know, when, when he decides to mind wipe Jenny and, and she realizes what's happening. And then when he finally does, and then it just kind of spirals from there, you know, through each of the characters. And I mean, they each reacted appropriately. I mean, you know, he was able to take out Apollo first because Midnighter, you know, like you said, detected it first. And I love the confrontation between him and Midnighter, you know, as you were talking about earlier. And it was just so appropriate. And Yeah, and, Mid- and Midnighter tells Martian Manhunter, you know, I'll never forget this right before he wipes his mind, which is awesome. Because you don't yeah. know. You know, <laughs> Midnighter's got a lot of stuff going on inside him. He might be able to remember it. And if he does, that would be awesome. Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just so many things and yeah the whole thing with the shadow lords i mean them intervening in the middle of this it was just everything just fit perfect every everybody reacted exactly the way you would expect them to you know nobody was out of character it it didn't feel forced at all even the little thing at the end where angie knew what was going on you know i I, you know i accepted that and and her reasons for doing it and it was just it was just a really I mean, I was sad to see Martian Manhunter go because, to me, that's not going to help the sales of the book either. Because I'm sure there's a lot of people who are following it just because he was in it, right? You know, but uh, but man, what an exit! <laughs> right? Yeah, and it was crazy, and it ended in a completely different 
fashion than you would have expected. You had no idea what Fox's role in this thing was either, and man, he is literally just a puppet. Yeah, and that last spread of Harry Tanner, you have noticed that his body is starting to change to look like the Shadow Lords. I mean, that's, that, that was just amazing. I mean, it's just such an awesome story that uh, Milligan has put together here. So, I mean, I just, I just can't wait for more of this book. <laughs> you know, Will Conrad's art was great. I loved his art in this one. Yeah, the, the, the fight scenes with Midnight were, were awesome. Uh, just he was having you could tell he was having so much fun just come up with the different the different fight choreography <laughs> agreed so but uh you want to go ahead and yeah so uh there was a breaking news um you know, this week so at, as yeah literally today yeah so uh just announced at fan expo martian manhunter will be in the new book in a new book next year titled justice league of, of america so JLA will be will be coming out pretty soon. So I know people will totally be stoked about that. This is a separate book from Justice League and will feature Steve Trevor, um, who is part of Team Seven, correct? Or is it All right? Vibe, Catwoman, Star Girl, Katana, Hawkman, Green Arrow, and Boz, the new Arab American Green Lantern who is the focus of the Rise of the Third Army crossover running through the Green Lantern books this October. So that's huge news. Uh, there'll be another title coming out uh, for the 52. So that's a big cast, too, a lot of characters. Yeah, and I don't know if you've been following Justice League, but there, the, there's the, the one issue, it's around six, or I think it's six or seven or eight, where Green Arrow is the focus and it ends with Steve, Steve Trevor telling Green Arrow that, that he's putting together a separate team. And so this was the team he was alluding to. So so that's it's really good. I'm, I'm telling you, man, they're doing a great job. I mean, Rob Liefeld was, was you know cursing out the editorial <laughs> for DC. But above all else, they are keeping all this tied together. And that's just amazing how they keep weaving this 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 new universe together so they must have the most like epic whiteboard up there like that's (laughs) like surrounds a huge conference room because all the tie-ins all the crossovers that have been happening and they're tiny little things just speckled throughout because you know something big's gonna happen and uh it's all gonna just pay off and it's it's gonna be really cool yeah it's like the old crossover the original crossover just simply titled 52 the one, the one, yeah. one that ran for a year. Yep. You know, there was the big board that uh, Booster Gold found that explained the whole thing. You know, and you're supposed to figure it out. So <laughs> that's what I imagine that they have. <laughs> Maybe they don't even understand half of it. They're like, "What does this mean? We don't know." <laughs> it's fun stuff. It's fun to keep us guessing. You know. Speaking of fun stuff. <laughs> oh. Would you believe Watch we actually yourself. had a? Fun, would you believe we actually had a fun issue of Grifter? <laughs> oh, you're right. I'll admit. It was fun. Despite all the hoopla that came afterwards. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so we're moving on to Grifter number 12, which was released on August the 8th, which is written by Rob Liefeld and Frank Terry, with art by Scott Clark and cover by Rob Liefeld. And I'll start with the cover. I actually did like this cover. Out of all the ones he's done, which just kind of seemed you know, like he finished in an, in an afternoon, you know, on a napkin in a restaurant. <laughs> this, this one, even though it doesn't really have anything to do with what happens in the issue, <laughs> it's just, 
I don't know. It's actually a, a good cover. So I'll agree. Uh, and the artwork, as soon as you turn that cover page, you're just like, oh, thank God Scott Clark's back because it's, it's <laughs> awesome. Not to say that the other artwork was bad, but I mean, it's just you're smack dab right into his heavy, uh, heavy line work. And it works with the fact that you're looking at his face on the front cover, and then in the first issue, the first page of the issue, he, it's his face getting smacked around by the Daemonites. Yep. <laughs> so, but yeah, basically, just pick up from the last issue where, uh, you know, uh, Sheshire had betrayed Grifter and Deathblow and brought them to Hellspont, and so they're on the Daemonite ship, and they have decided not to kill. Our heroes, of course, you know. Of course not. Of course they're not going to kill our heroes. Well, you know, Hellspot just kind of justify it later why he didn't. So, <laughs> I mean, I still don't understand why he didn't kill Deathblow, but if Deathblow retains his powers from the old Wallstorm universe, he would just come back anyway, so. <laughs> That's right. But yeah, basically they're just discussing this whole plan and that, that uh, you know, according, I mean, this whole thing about the Daemonites according to the way I understand it from reading this and Voodoo and the other ones is that the Daemonites basically had what seemed like a civil war and there's some Daemonites who want to follow the prophecy which I believe is Hellspawn's group and some Daemonites who don't you know who is the other group that I think they're the ones who created Voodoo if I'm not mistaken I'm trying to keep it all straight <laughs> but you know that's the whole thing that Hellspawn here is continuing to talk about that and that you know they're still prepping the the way for an invading Daemonite force, which I don't know if that was going to be that crossover that they were talking about. But I would hope that eventually they would do some sort of big crossover with the Daemonites because they're just keep building and building to the invasion. It has to happen eventually, you know. Right. <laughs> and yes, as we get Scott Clark back, we get him drawing Hellspont, and he does an amazing version of Hellspont. So. <laughs> So this um and Singe, oh, he's such a cool character. <laughs> Who again his mass keeps increasing and decreasing. Um real quick side notes in that Liefeld rant from earlier. He he did mention that DC is also pushing Hellspot. Remember how you were talking about Hellspot being the biggest slut of the, of the new he's 52? He's all over the place. <laughs> yeah, and we'll find out that he's conti- he's going to continue to be that way as we That's get right. into some of the other appearances. <laughs> but they want to make him a big threat. So that's really cool, too. I'm, I'm glad that they're doing that. So we'll see in some of the other books uh, how he's going to continue to be a problem for the DCU. So... But yeah, I mean, I'm just going to kind of glaze through this because the the gist of it is is that, you know, Hellspawn confronts Grifter and apparently Hellspawn's thing is he's trying to recruit people to help him because we saw in the Superman issues he was trying to recruit Superman. And of course Superman didn't agree. So here basically he's trying again, uh, but this time with Grifter. And, you know, he's basically, like I said, you know, the Daemonites are split, so he's trying to tell Grifter that they share a common enemy, and Grifter finds this amusing, and of course this angers Hellspont, and, but, you know, Deathblow's there, and and uh, basically this is the part where I guess Grifter reveals that that he's pulled a grift on them. Basically, he's telling Hellspont, you know, that he wanted himself to get captured, so that way he can uh, get close to, to Hellspawn and, you know, learn about everything, and 
you know, this is where uh, uh, where a grifter goes uh, Bruce Leroy times ten in this in this scene, <laughs> where he basically unleashes, you know, his new powers on Hellspont and no, I'm the master. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so they start this big fight between you know him and Hellspawn, and meanwhile Deathblow, you know, is able to to take out some of the um the guards and and they forget real quick that uh technically Deathblow shouldn't be able to use the guard's gun because Grift already established that there's some sort of weird mind thing going on or was it the DNA? Something about that only he could do it because he was linked to the Daemonites. But they get saved by the fact that Deathblow never actually has to fire the gun because <laughs> he just he takes on Sheshire hand to hand kicks the crap out of her and I love <laughs> this scene <laughs> where it's almost like like Frank Thierry and you know them they realize that Singe is not you know a top rated character either but he you know gets in between Grifter and Hellspawn and Grifter basically just shoes him out of the way with one finger you know tell it TKs him off off screen <laughs> <laughs> it was worth it for that <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, you know, him and Hellspawn continue their battle, and I mean, it, it does get pretty epic here, where they're just, I mean, the the energy is swirling, and they're just they're just trying to take each other out, and finally, you know, Hellspawn is at the end of his rope, and I guess you could say Grifter has him on the ropes and is trying to take him out, and let's see, is this the part where we where we uh, are going to blow up the ship? Because you knew that that was coming, right? You right. Know that something. <laughs> of course, why not? <laughs> and, and at one point, we do get a quick glimpse of Hellspawn's true Daemonite form, which is something we've never seen. So that was interesting. But it's basically a version of the, the blue Daemonites that we've seen in the past. Because so. I remember the old Wallstrom U, he, he, like this form that you see him with, it's it's supposed to be some sort of alien race and inside you know that shell is the daemonite that is hellspawn so i remember the wildcats cartoon it was really epic because when they were defeating him he was shown to be like a three-headed daemonite or something so (laughs) do you remember that (laughs) you don't remember that as in the last episode it was really epic like they were beating him and his true daemonite form was coming out of the shell and it had like three heads (laughs) <laughs> that's right <laughs> I totally did not go to see that movie but get any, it didn't get good reviews so I was like oh that's sad anyway so you know we do the old okay let's get to the escape pod let's get out and you know gonna blow up the ship and you know there's an explosion and then there's the million falcon flies away and oh wait oh, that's another movie um <laughs> But uh, but then this is this is where it did get really interesting at the end, where the explosion. I don't know if the ship starts to heal itself or or if it's shown to be uh, an illusion or what. But basically, the ship is fine. It didn't really blow up. And there's Hellspawn and Singe and Cheshire, you know, watching Grifter and Deathblow escape, and basically. So this is where you switch the grift again, <laughs> except this time it's Hellspawn saying that this is what he wanted to happen because apparently Grifter has no idea what he is, what he really is, which we found out from Law Rifle is supposed to be an alien, but we don't know if that's going to stick or not. So 
But uh, I just love this last panel. It shows Grifter and Deathblow, especially Grifter, the big old smirk on his face, like as if he just won the Super Bowl, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I also love that... Uh, that they, you know, that they let you know that Hellspawn's story continues in Superman Annual number one, which is actually on sale here at the end of the month, um, which we'll talk about later. But unfortunately, we're not going to get to see it because it's not out yet as of this recording. But uh, but that was a surprise, and that apparently was part of uh, this whole Grifter Liefeld leaving thing that they were going to add Hellspawn into that, and everything had to be rewritten. And because I remember there was another cover to the Superman annual. That's why when I went back and looked it up, I was like, it doesn't show him on the cover. That that was the cover. I don't know if you saw it, but it showed Superman being like tackled in space by a bunch of aliens, and right behind him is a door, you know, like from Stormwatch. Oh, yeah, we should have that somewhere that we can get that. <clears throat> but the thing is, they've they've gotten rid of that cover. Now the cover to Superman annual is this, it's a really cool picture of uh, Superman drawn by Kenneth Rockerford, who's the one who'd been doing Red Hood and the Outlaws for for the first few issues and now he's going to start doing Superman with Scott Lobdell and so it's a really cool Superman picture but it they totally did away with that other you know picture and I would have to assume it's because of the rewrites but uh, but it is cool that we're going to get a hell spot next so I mean overall I really enjoyed this issue like I said last time that if we were working up to this fight that's fine. I just wish we hadn't had to go through all that other stuff to get to this, you know, because this was awesome. I kind of wish that for some reason this would have been the first issue, <laughs> but, you know, we had to establish everybody. And I mean, it is kind of cool that, again, that Cheshire and Singe didn't die because, you know, Hellspot did have an entourage in the old Wallstrom universe, so now he's starting to build one here, you know. So I can appreciate that. And, you know, if Singe ends up being the just the, the dumb muscle of the group, then that's fine, I guess. <laughs> so anyway, so what did you think? <laughs> it, it actually I agree. It was a really great issue. And Scott Clark really helped that out too. When uh Grifter showed his powers that that full page is badass. Oh, it's so epic. But uh yeah, I mean uh I guess from here on out, we have no idea what's going to happen, I guess, because of all the rewrites and, you know, issue zero will be great because we'll get to see a little bit more about Grifter's past. And now that he'll be in a team seven, that'll also help flesh that out. I think I just, I don't know if they're going to explain anybody, anything about this. Uh, I, I can't imagine them being able to explain anything about his powers now in the issue zero or team seven. Cause it's, it seems so different than, you know, his Wildstorm uh, version of him. And even the first eight issues that, uh, Nathanson had written had nothing to do with this. So, you know, it was totally Rob Liefeld and it just, I can't imagine them tying that together. If they figure out a way, that would be great. But I mean, the only thing in Edmondson's run was when he caught Green Arrow's arrow. I mean, that's the only really thing. Yep. I mean, other than that, you can argue that, that the fact that he survived a fight against Midnighter, <laughs> you know, you'd have to have something special. <laughs> um, th- those are the only things that I remember just off the top of my head, so... I guess we're all just going to have to wait and see because it's really editorials pulling the strings on this one uh, and directing it where it's going. So who knows? 
Good issue, though. Actually, well worth picking up and reading it several times. Uh, where the other ones were fodder. Anyways, <laughs> moving on to Ravagers number four, released on August 8th as well, written by Howard Mackey, with art by Daniel Sempere. Sempere? Man. Not close enough. <laughs> <laughs> and Stefano Martino, and covered by Ian Churchill. So Ian's not doing the interiors anymore, and he's getting some help. But still really good artwork on the inside. I thought uh, there were a couple of weird things, but I can get past that. So all the kitties have been caught by Brother Blood, and Beast Boy and Tara are going to go save them, and that's where we're at. And Beast Boy is talking about how uh, things have been quite different since they've left uh, the Nowhere facility and, and where they've been. And we flip over to uh, Tara yelling at Beast Boy, being like, why are we bothering to go after these these chuckleheads, they wouldn't they wouldn't have come back after us. And the whole time Beast Boy is transforming into like a saber toothed tiger. And he's always red, so it's a big bad red saber toothed tiger and he's taking on, you know, those muscle muscle men is what what I want to call them, but those were little toys in the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have their flesh exposed no. like these guys. <laughs> well some of them, a lot of them were like pink and purple and whatever. <laughs> They were awesome. I love that toy. But I digress. Anyways, <laughs> so the whole thing is um, what we learned last last issue is that Brother Blood is trying to get to the red. So he has a Thunder and Lightning and Ridge and, and a Caitlin Fairchild all tied up down in his lair underneath this church. And that's where uh, Beast Boy and Tara are right now. They're They're on their way to the rescue, basically. And uh, Brother Blood is talking weird and stuff and talking about how he needs to get to the red and uh, conferring with his uh, weird witch doctor ladies. There's three of them. And the people that they have tied up right now all have powerful blood, but they're still he's still missing the key in order to get to the red. I really need to go back and read Animal Man and Swamp, Swamp Thing to kind of understand what all that means. But it's pretty epic other... Otherwise, I'm I'm enjoying it because oh you haven't got them yet. No, well, Swamp Thing trade doesn't come out until this week, so no, I don't I don't I haven't like backtracked to get all the issues. Anyways, uh, Tara up above uh, is able to like tunnel Beast Boy and her down through the earth down to uh, down to the underground grave or cave dwelling where where uh, Brother Blood is is having his ritual and keeping all the the other teens trapped, all the other Ravagers trapped. And, you know, he apparently has a sense of humor because he's like, uh, you guys know we have stairs, right? <laughs> oh, well, we didn't like that old dusty church anyway. So they come crashing down with all the rubble with them. And Beast Boy immediately uh, is ready to go after Brother Blood here. And, uh, Brother Blood's like, hey, I remember you. You're the one from the dream. You must be the key, I guess, right? And, well, Beast Boy changes into a tiger this time, and he's like, yep, you're the key. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of surprised at the humor that Brother Blood had. I have no knowledge of the old Brother Blood, so... <laughs> he, he's not a serious guy, I'll tell you that. He's, he's <laughs> kind of goofy. And he's not corny, either. He's just... Kind of matter of fact. <laughs> yeah, he's light. He's light about everything. Uh, in the background, 
um, you actually see blood coming out of the blood pool, so you can see the portal starting to be made here. And uh, he, uh, Brother Blood, is also uh, kind of a hypnotizing Terra as well at the point at this point, and that's when Beast Boy fires back up and goes after uh, Brother Blood, and he goes from a tiger into like a tri. Uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex or a raptor or something and he's raging once again going after Brother Blood and he's talking about losing his control and that shifting is a lot easier now and it doesn't hurt him anymore and uh, Tara also talks about her powers as well and how she's more powerful now than she's ever been before that's why she's able to transition them down into the earth so easily anyways uh, we go to the three witch doctor ladies and they're creating the portal just with the the ravager's blood and uh even lightning is still kind of hypnotized by brother blood and she's like no we can't defy him (laughs) (laughs) and ridge breaks out and uh caitlin looks like she's ready to break out anyways brother blood uh tells his accolades to bleed them and and basically this is when the epic fight starts so all the ravagers break loose and they start Punching all the muscle men again. <laughs> and, uh, Worst job ever. <laughs> right? And Caitlin, wow, this, the, there's this spread with nine, nine panels, and it, it really harkens back to you know, traditional Silver Age and, and Golden Age comics where the panels are really small and tight together, but they're kind of askew and torqued, and it, it just works really well for this, this fight scene that's going on the fight between uh, Beast Boy and Brother Blood and the fight between the Ravagers and the Muscle Men. It's, it's really epic. And then even even still, uh, Lightning actually is able to break out of it a little bit, out of his trance, and she tackles one of the witch ladies and and she dives right through the, the blood portal into the red. And uh, one of the witch ladies like, oh, that's very bad very bad nobody but you was supposed to enter the red and and uh brother blood's kind of pissed about that (laughs) so uh obviously that blood portal wasn't going to last without the key uh wasn't going to stay open very long so it closes down and uh everything starts crashing down and and tara is able to like kind of smother brother blood with with all the earth around without around him and everything and able to get everybody up to the surface, I suppose rather easily. And that's the end of that fight. And it was brief, only a couple issues long, but it was cool. And we got to see some cool people. So I'm excited to talk about that a little bit. And, uh, we basically bump over to, uh, Los Angeles, California, which I guess is where they are at anyway. And they're all kind of limping away and Caitlin's leading them Ridge behind, behind them carrying thunder on his back and Tara and beast boy are kind of walking each other as well. And this is where we uh, get some more of Caitlin's monologue uh, or her diary basically. And talking about how, how savage all of them were down there and they had no thought about their lives or the lives of others. No fear in any of them, especially in lightning who obviously had no fear, just taking off and jumping through that portal, not knowing where it was going and taking another person out for them. So they're able to uh, basically take care of themselves, but that makes her really nervous. She doesn't know that she can actually lead them because they're 
they're all pretty uh, savage themselves. And uh, they're on their way to a safe house that Caitlin's been talking about for a while here, and then they run into this tornado, which is uh, actually another character that we get introduced to here. Do you know who this guy is? I did not at first, but uh, somebody I was trying to find who told me, but it's his his original character name is The Chief, and he's from Doom Patrol. Ah. Yeah, and this is his first appearance in the New 52, as far as I understand. Okay. So... Sir Caitlin knows him from, I guess, from their time at Nowhere, and uh, she calls him Niles Calder. So Yeah, that's his real name. And and he's wearing a jacket that's all lit up, just like you know a lot of the other Ravagers. Which one thing I noticed, and I don't know if you noticed it, but you know the last issue they were having fun in the in the the lake there, swimming around, and they noticed that those lights and everything were embedded into their skin. They weren't part of their outfits, and that kind of freaked them all out. But if you notice the artwork this this go around, um, Tara and Beast Boy, they're the light that they got from nowhere, the stripes were actually on their uniforms, not on their skin, because Beast Boy doesn't inherit that trait as well. But anyways, we could talk about that in a little bit. Um, and here we end the issue as Niles introduces somebody else to the Ravagers, which is Superboy. So Superboy is back to meet the Ravagers, um, and they haven't met since their escape from the Nowhere facility. So in 60 days, basically, after the Zero issue, we'll... Uh, We'll meet back up with Superboy and the Ravagers to see what happens there. But uh, that was their little stint with uh, Brother Blood, and now we have Beast Boy and Terra back on the team. So they're they're reunited. It's a pretty cool little arc. I'm pretty stoked to see. Uh, you know, the Zero issue will be a little odd. I, I wonder what kind of information we'll get out of that since, you know, the Ravagers, I mean, all the backstory... Uh, for the Ravagers was the culling and then the Ravagers was their escape from the Nowhere facility. So the Zero issue is kind of a little odd to me. I just hope that we get a lot of details that were kind of glossed over in that that uh, that miniseries, basically that crossover. And then you know, from there on out, maybe we'll get to see a little bit about you know what happened to all these other characters. Because obviously we were introduced to Ridge during the Cullen crossover, so we don't know anything about his past or Thunder and Lightning as well. So, yeah, maybe we see about their time in the Nowhere facility. Cool issue, though. I was going to say, I was kind of surprised that the whole Brother Bullet thing seems to have wrapped up pretty quick, but I don't know, maybe it's because they're kind of running into all these other um, crossovers that are going to happen because um, Beast Boy, in that issue number five that comes out after Zero mentions that he is going to be affected by the the big crossover between Animal Man and Swamp Thing, which is Rot World. So maybe that's what's happening with this, is that uh, maybe they weren't necessarily going to go in this direction. Maybe they had to wrap up the Brother, Brother Blood thing quicker than he wanted to. There's no telling. I guess it ended up working out, because that way it's not dragged out so much. It's probably just a big tease, because they have plenty of time next year to go back into it. Yeah. But yeah, I get what you're saying. It, it was interesting that they picked Beast Boy and Terra as the focus for the Zero issue. But maybe it's like you said, they, maybe they realized, hey, hey, we told a lot of this in the culling. Do we really need to tell anything else? And they're like, well, Beast Boy and Terra kind of showed up at the end. We didn't tell anything about them. So, <laughs> so but yeah, I like the issue. I mean, I was kind of disappointed that Ian Churchill wasn't drawing it. But yeah, the, the fill-in artist 
weren't bad. There are some more manly looking uh, Caitlin Fairchild shots. <laughs> In some of the distant shots of her, she looks kind of busted. I don't know. Yeah. The best picture of her is in the uh, the ep- epilogue. Ep- I guess say it again. <laughs> this is all this is all my friend's fault. He's got me thinking about that now. It's, it's epilogue, whatever. Oh, it's not epilogue. <laughs> no, you hush. Don't encourage him. He, he's going to be listening to this podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, to me, that's the best picture of her. <laughs> so, but yeah, I get what you're saying. But yeah, I mean, there's not really much for me to say one way or the other. It it was just a solid comic. Uh, I'm enjoying it. Uh, it's another one that like it had strong first sales, especially being part of the what was that the second wave? Yeah, the second wave of the New Fifty Two, and then it just had a harsh drop. And I I think it's just because people don't know what to make of it. And I mean, I actually enjoy the fact that it's it's the more most unique out I think out of all the ones we cover because we don't know what to expect. Because of the mix of characters we have here, you know, new, old, redesigned. I mean, there's just, it, it's just a, uh, it's, it's, I think it's the most unique book we cover, honestly. So, I, I, but I think that scares some people, and it's unfortunate. You want to take a wager on when we'll see Alex Fairchild show up and, and school his daughter about leadership? <laughs> if he survives Team 7, right? <laughs> exactly. So... There's no telling who survives or doesn't survive all that. <laughs> yeah, he didn't last too long in the original, did he? No, he did. But it's mainly because he stayed in hiding for so long. <laughs> as soon as he came out, <laughs> boom, gone. Anyway, so yeah, I'm still enjoying Ravagers. Hopefully y'all are picking it up. Um, I know Chris Stryker always forgets to post the solicits for it, so it kind of bothers me that one of the big Wildstorm fans is even kind of overlooking it. <laughs> And I'm like, if he's not reading it, you know, which I think he is. I'm not sure. But anyway, I, I hope at least the Teen Titans and the Superboy fans are all all reading it because of the calling crossover. Yeah, because you kind of have to go to different sources to get your Teen Titans in the new 52. You sure do. <laughs> not all in one book. So so we'll go on to the, the last title we we're covering tonight, which is... Um, Voodoo number 12, which was released on August 22nd, written by Josh Williamson, with art by Sammy Basri and covered by Paolo Sicchiera. I mean, no, no, that's not right. It's actually by Sammy Basri, because <laughs> I forgot to change that in the notes. <laughs> oh, way to go. He finally gets his his first cover. <laughs> I know, that's the thing I put in my written review. I was like, I can't believe. I actually had to double check. I was, I was like, is it really Sammy Basri? He was like, yep, sure enough. It is him. It only took 12 issues. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It was worth it. And hey, it actually made sense. Look, they're fighting. Yeah, I know. It made sense with what was going on in the interior, not like some of the others. You know? <laughs> but Paolo got Paolo Sikira got better about it. I'm sure part of it was just them being like, hey, we need a cover. Well, what's the issue about? Just make a cover, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Those stinking Wildstorm Addiction guys keep complaining that it doesn't make know, any right? sense. <laughs> yeah, because DC really listens to us. You know, they did make that, you know, Rise of the Ravagers trade just for us. It's coming out. So, <laughs> um, so for all intents and purposes, this is the last issue of Voodoo. I mean, we do have the Zero issue next month, but this one reads more like the last issue. I mean, the Zero issue is probably going to hopefully answer more about her origin. 
which has gotten very convoluted. <laughs> or her origin. <laughs> What's up? Nice. <laughs> I'm on point tonight, folks. Yes, yes, you are. <laughs> oh, and I, well, they missed all the opening stuff because you didn't record it, so that's your fault. So they're going to have to just imagine all the stuff they missed. But <laughs> anyway, so we start off with a nice little uh, juxtaposition of the first issue. We start off with the scene of voodoo stripping again. <laughs> so, and it's a callback to you know, it's it's voodoo talking about the, the things that the links that she's gone through to. You know, to get what the Damonites wanted, and then meanwhile we, you know, we switch back and forth between her and Priscilla, and Priscilla's thinking about what the Damonites stole from her, and then the Black Razor stole from her, and then you know, back to Voodoo and the things that she did just to, you know, further the cause, even align with you know Hellspawn, who she considers evil, and you know, then back to Priscilla and and the regrets that she has about helping the Black Razors and. And then we go to a nice big open panel of both of them fighting in the in the uh, Daemonite Temple where the blue flame is kept. This starts some continue what, what continues to be you know some great Sammy Basri art and and I, I love the the design here. I mean I, I love both their designs, so I'm kind of torn because I mean obviously Voodoo I could do without the Daemonite armor, but I get that that's her you know symbol that she's turned to, to the dark side basically. <laughs> But Priscilla, I, I do like the the wings look, so I, I like that they've established that for her, which kind of, I guess, answers the question that in Grifter number 13, it's Priscilla. So, but yeah, basically what we got here is, you know, the, I mean, they have their big epic fight, and and while they're fighting outside the Black Razors, or the 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 few Black Razors that are left, <laughs> which is Lincoln and Skiv Larva, whatever you say her name. <laughs> <laughs> And what's this? The other one? It's not Alex. It last name is Walker, I think. I don't know. The the one that's supposed to take care of Voodoo. <laughs> They're the only three Black Razors left. Uh, Power Rangers are going quick. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and then in the middle of the Voodoo Priscilla fight, you know, she mind links with with Voodoo, and you know, we kind of get a recap of everything that's happened. You know, the cloning and the. You know the training, and we even get a, a nice little flashback of uh, Blackjack and uh, Agent Fallon when they were still alive, <laughs> and you know they go on this little surreal journey through Voodoo's mind, and you know she actually Priscilla gets Voodoo to smile, and for a second there you think maybe maybe she's going to listen, but of course now she doesn't listen. She basically tells Voodoo, I mean Priscilla, you know screw you, I'm going to do what I want to do for the Daemonites and. She goes and takes the blue flame weapon, and she's going to use it. And then we get one more appearance by Ben's favorite character so of this series, uh, Mallstone. <laughs> yes, I'm telling you, he he made this this little arc here so worthwhile. He's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> he basically played Gandalf at at Helm's Deep. You know, he showed up. <laughs> He's the cavalry. <laughs> so. You know, he takes out Voodoo, and apparently he dies. I'm not sure, though. I think we see him later. But then Priscilla takes it upon herself to grab the blue flame weapon, and they all escape. And we get a, kind of a funny picture of the of the Centurions chasing them. Does, am I just the only one that finds that funny? Oh, I think it's epic. It's like it's like <laughs> them running out of the cave in Raiders of the Lost Doom. It's like, <laughs> or is it Lost Ark? Yes, Lost Ark. <laughs> Whatever. 
Uh, I'm sweating here. Give me a break. <laughs> Actually, I made fun of you, so feel free. <laughs> anyway, so they you know escape the planet, and thankfully they don't rig you know the the moon to explode. You know, because it would be kind of weird to not have the moon of Jupiter. <laughs> but so then they they escape, and supposedly Voodoo's dead. They think because Priscilla can't feel her presence anymore and so they go back to voodoo's house and they're just standing there i mean don't you think that voodoo's parent i mean that priscilla's parents you know might look out the window and see these two armored guys and she's in armor and think you know hey what's going on priscilla (laughs) we're kind of have a question about the guys you're bringing home nowadays (laughs) 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 but it's basically her you know you can't i mean that's the title of the issues you can't go home or you can't go home again and that's the whole thing here is that she can't you know, go back to that life. So she wants to continue on with what she's been doing. And then she even mentions that she senses there's a, there's a man out there who needs her help. And and then all the hopefuls in the world are like, I hope she's talking about me. But, <laughs> <laughs> but she's not talking about you, fanboy. She's talking about Grifter. <laughs> she apparently is setting, you know, obviously setting up to go to the Grifter title. And uh, we have kind of a kind of a weird transition after this because she's all like no I can't really stay with you Black Razors I gotta go find this grifter guy and then the next thing she's training with the Black Razors <laughs> like did you change your mind? <laughs> she's getting ready <laughs> and then we have a scene where Lincoln takes the blue flame weapon to a mysterious off-panel character who we can't tell who it is and here's to hoping that that plot line will be carried over somewhere maybe in Grifter and then surprisingly at the end of the issue we show that uh, Voodoo did survive and she now leads the Daemonites on that planet and she's now determined to kill everybody including you know the Daemonites Hellspot Voodoo you know I mean Priscilla I see that's going to be confusing now it's just like so Voodoo's not going to show up in Grifter and number 13 it's Priscilla (laughs) So, I was I, I was with everybody else. I wanted I wanted the the bad voodoo to die. I was just I'm just tired of the clone thing already. <laughs> so, I was kind of disappointed that they went that way. I mean, I I can understand that Williamson probably wanted to go for the ending that nobody expected, which is to leave her alive. But I just wanted her dead. I just we just need one voodoo in the DC universe. We don't need two. <laughs> so, I mean, it just kind of seemed like we coasted to this conclusion. You know, we already talked about how these last issues felt, and this one was fine. I just it just kind of felt like okay, we're coming to the end of the ride. Everybody started on fastening their seatbelts and be sure and uh, jump onto the Grifter ride next. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I just kind of felt like eh, you know, by the end of the issue. It just—it was like the pre—the prequel to the, to the next, like you said, the next chapter of Grifter after Zero. <laughs> exactly. It felt like nothing got, nothing was accomplished in this uh, last issue, and it was kind of a bummer for me, because I was really at first when you know they were, I don't know, the Mayan temple or whatever, and Hellspawn Center off to Europa. I was like, ugh, they're going into space. That's never a good sign, because um, it's always goofy, but. It worked for me. I loved it. I liked the little arc. I know that you had your misgivings, but I thought it was hilarious, basically because Molestone rocked. Um, but yeah, this final issue and their big fight, it just felt like nothing nothing happened. So maybe it was just because I knew that the 
title is ending, but I mean, yes, the title was Voodoo, but it, it is confusing that there's two of them out there now, and which one will continue to thrive in the DCU 52? Both? I guess. You know, here's the hoping that they just all merge over to Wildcats, that uh, Priscilla and Grifter eventually get gobbled up into that title. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, all, that's all I could really hope for, because, you know, other than this last issue, obviously you know how I felt about Grifter. So, and uh, sadly, uh, Andrew Lincoln killed in yet another title. So who knows who, <laughs> what title he's moving over to next? But <laughs> I know, man. He's just like that guy; just can't get a break. <laughs> if, hey, if he if he pops up in Grifter, we'll know. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> We'll, we'll do the Darth Vader scream together if he does. <laughs> right. uh, anyways, I, we need to wrap up because we are long overdue. But uh, let me give you an update on some other Wildstorm-related sightings and tie-ins from the DCU uh, issue number 12s this last month. So August 8th, Deathstroke number 12 came out, and that was Deathstroke and Zealot versus Lobo. And uh, Zealot's uh, playing quite a bigger role over in that title than... I had expected so it'll be interesting to see what happens now that Rob's not here what they do with her maybe that's why the the rewrites are happening because he basically pulled in all these wild storm characters and now they're like um what do we do with them <laughs> <laughs> wild cats wild cats wild cats wild. I know right <laughs> Deathstroke was pretty much like the Michael Bay movie of all these titles <laughs> you know I just kind of enjoyed it for what it was I mean he even has Deathstroke you know kiss sellout at the end I'm like really you know so whatever he's trying to get those two to hook up you know <laughs> give me some sugar baby uh, <laughs> August 22nd, we had the Savage Hawkman number 12, and this was Hawkman versus Pike. And Pike reveals that Daemonites harvested, were harvested to serve the Carabum, and the Carabum appeared to have lost uh, that fight, and Hellspot and the Daemonites were going after uh, Thangar next, which was uh, basically the, the home world to Hawkman's nth metal, correct? Yeah. Yeah, that's about as much as I know of Hawkman too. So. <laughs> yeah, not very much. Um, and he mentions the bleed, uh, which has the sentient air cycle called Spartan. So that was basically a yeah, just a motorcycle that Pike was riding, which looked like a uh, airspeeder in Star Wars a little bit. It's called the Spartan, which was interesting. Yeah, this title ended up being a lot more important <laughs> to Wildstorm fans than I thought. And like Dave at Clark's Bar mentioned, he's like, this origin is surprisingly almost identical to the original from the old universe. So whether you like it or not, that's probably because Liefeld had his hands on it. So <laughs> see if it sticks. <laughs> Next, we had uh, August 22nd, I Vampire number 12, which this was versus Stormwatch. And I haven't picked up this title ever since the new 52 started. And this issue was awesome. It really makes me want to go back and either grab the trades or go back and dig for all the the single issues because I loved it. I thought it was so sweet. And I know that this creative team is the only like non-known uh, creative team that started the new 52 titles. So I thought that was interesting. And I really liked 
where this was going. I don't know if we're going to see Stormwatch in issue 13, if it if this did wrap it up, because it was really confusing to see what the conclusion of Stormwatch's role was in this. I doubt they just left after that. But did you <laughs> happen to pick this up? Oh, yeah. No, I did. And, and I, I read one issue of it early on, like two, three, or four, somewhere in there, a friend of mine had one. And it was, it's a good book. And it uh, it's gotten some good reviews, but yeah, one thing I appreciate about this one is that even though yeah we came in the literally in the middle of this huge battle, you know I understood everything that was going on. I mean he did such a good job of catching you up if you were literally just like us picking it up just because Stormwatch was in it, you know. So I really applaud the writer for that. Really good job. Yeah, I'm really curious to go back and see because I'm real picky about my vampire stories, but this one seemed interesting. So yeah, it really does. Uh, and then finally, uh, next week, sorry, this probably won't be out by the time this comes out, but go ahead and pick it up anyway. August 29th, Superman Annual Number 1 uh, is releasing with Hellspawn uh, being in there as well, since we've seen him in and out of the Superman title. And you also get the glimpse of the Damonite homeworld, which will be pretty cool, because we haven't seen that yet in the New 52. Yeah, a lot of stuff there. Uh, some upcoming releases we have uh, in September, because you know, September is zero month, so basically everything is issue zero. So we get the, the zero issues for Stormwatch on September the 5th. We get four issues on uh, September the 12th. We have Grifter, Ravagers, Deathstroke, which apparently is going to talk about his history with Team 7, and then we get Team 7 number zero. So... I'm going to have a heck of a time getting the, all these out in one day. <laughs> so we may or may not get all these in one day. I don't know yet. I, I'm trying to plan this. I'm trying to be strategic. So That's okay. We won't mind if you don't. We understand. Thanks a lot, DC. Why don't you take us into consideration when you do your schedules? <laughs> <laughs> hey, if it were up to them, they'd be wanting you to buy all 52. So Yeah. <laughs> And then uh, the last issue of Voodoo uh, comes out in September the 26th. And as far as I understand, uh, the Hawkman Zero doesn't have anything to do with what we've been following so far. So still not sure if I'm going to pick that one up. And uh, remember that all these books are available digitally, either through DC Comics website or comicsology.com, the day and date every Wednesday, which, by the way, Comicsology chose to follow us on Twitter, which that was a real, really nice surprise. <laughs> they did indeed. That was cool. So, anyway, why don't you take us home, Ben? All right. We just wanted to give another shout out to Chris Stryker uh, of the authority.ws and stormwatch.ws websites. He runs the Higher Authorities message boards. Uh, which is Clark's Bar, who continues to, you know, cover the Wildstorm integration into the new 52. And, you know, why we tell you to go over there instead of uh, talking to us on Google Plus or Facebook is beyond me. Oh, wait, I know why. <laughs> we love Chris Stryker. He's awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Chris Stryker, for running the best message board on the Internet. You rock. He's, he's our celebrity, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tease it's uh, it's only because you know he hasn't been on the podcast in forever thanks yeah, chris we're working on that <laughs> um and also be sure to check out our friends of the show which is image addiction podcast as they cover new releases from image comics and also only the valiant podcast as they cover the relaunch of valiant comics over the summer so Lucky for those bastards, they get their comic book line back just as we sort of are getting Wildstorm back. 
I don't know what's gotten into me tonight. Anyways, <laughs> um, if you would like to contact us, you can contact Joe. He's twitter.com slash grifter78. You can look me up on YoYoMaster146 at Wildstorm Resource Wiki. Why I'm YoYoMaster146 is beyond me. That's one of those whole uh, the internet started when I was 14 kind of things, and you just pick the crappiest name you can come up with. <laughs> Guess what? It's already taken, so put a stupid number after it. Okay. Yeah, same thing with Grifter. (laughs) (laughs) Right, but at least that one's more epic, and it kind of plays into how cool we are with comics. Um, Yeah, so you can reach me. That's wildstormresource.wetpaint.com. You can also reach us on twitter.com slash wildstormaddict. And all of our posts and comments for each episode... Uh, wildstormaddiction.com please come and comment so we can comment back to you it's fun keep the conversation going uh, you can also email us at wildstormaddiction at gmail.com and we'll probably read your email on the podcast which is always a good time and uh, we also have a Facebook fan page Google Plus page and our show is still on Stitcher uh, we started that a couple months ago but basically you can listen to Stitcher on your iPhone, Android phone, Kindle Fire or any other crazy device that supports Stitcher which most of them do and you can stream our podcast anytime you'd like and it's free and cool and awesome and we are <laughs> out <laughs> yeah free and cool and awesome sure <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it was a fun month and we look forward to all the zero issues and some other crazy happenings that are coming up and it's a good time to be a Wildstorm fan, everybody, and we're glad that you're sticking with us and we'll see you next month. Bye-bye now. Whatever you had today, I want you to take it every podcast from now on. <laughs> I know. I'm usually Debbie Downer, and tonight I'm just in a good mood. I just, You know what it was? I felt like I got a lot of stuff done. I had no problems. I didn't feel guilty doing the podcast tonight. Put the baby to bed. I was good to go. <laughs> I reread all my issues. I'm like, all right, I know what I'm talking about. This is fun. <laughs> Sweet. Snor- snort some crack, you know. <laughs> Cocaine right up in the nostril. I knew that was the main thing right there. Yeah. I just was waiting for you to admit it. So, <laughs> Oy vey, 9.30. Wow, what a night. <laughs> <laughs>